0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Halloween and welcome into the Locked On Reds podcast, where today we will have a trick-or-treat edition. For Locked On Reds, today we will look at six different Reds and decide whether they are a trick or a treat, or, you know, the situations surrounding them. And we're going to start with Kyle Farmer. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are locked on Reds and my name is Jeff Carr. I am a lifelong Cincinnati Reds fan and I have turned an addiction to this team into information for you. Locked on Reds is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We are free and available on all. Platforms on today's Locked On Reds. We will play trick or treat with six Reds. We're talking about shortstop Kyle Farmer. Want to make that clear? Shortstop Kyle Farmer, comeback king Joey Votto, Maestro Nick Crawl, Jose Barrero, Jonathan India's struggles in 2022, and Tyler Stevenson. So we want to start first with Kyle Farmer, and I'm talking about Kyle Farmer at shortstop because I think there is. A bit of a misnomer that if if you don't like Kyle Farmer at shortstop, then you don't like Kyle Farmer and you think he's a bad player. That's not it at all. I'm very happy with what Kyle farmer has brought to this team. I I love the leadership that he brings to the locker room. I love the grit, the reliability. We talked about him as the team MVP for last season, and it's not because his numbers just absolutely set the world on fire. On the contrary, you could kind of make the case that his numbers show why the reds absolutely need to make sure they have their shortstop of the future. But that's where I want to get into this point because it was made very clear by a couple of different folks around the team that they are just so happy with him at shortstop. And I think, okay, yeah, given the uh, converse, you know, given the other possibilities that the Reds had at shortstop, none. Sure, he's fine, but that's like saying a lot of different things. I mean, I, I don't understand why people have fallen so in love with the idea of Kyle Farmer at shortstop because Kyle Farmer at shortstop is a trick. He should be playing somewhere else. Here's why. Kyle Farmer was better defensively. Now it's a small sample size, but he was better defensively at third base than at shortstop, at least per outs above average and a couple of other metrics. According to outs above average, he had a negative three at shortstop i.e. he was three outs worse than the average league, average shortstop, the replacement guy that you could go out and get theoretically the Reds just didn't go out and get him minus three outs above average of shortstop. He was plus two at third base and he can still be very valuable for the Reds at third base. Look at what happened in the wake of a Eugenio Suarez being sent to Seattle. We had Mike Mostakis playing third base and I'm not really sure Mike Mustagas can bend over and get a ground ball anymore. It just didn't look like that in a lot of different cases. So Kyle farmer at third base could be a nice stop gap until Noel V. Marte is ready to get up here into the major leagues and also looking at something else. And this is according to fan graphs, Kyle farmers, defensive war, wins above replacement at third base is slightly higher than his defensive war at shortstop. Again, that's per FanGraphs. But there's this narrative out there that he is the Reds shortstop. And, and if that is where your mindset is, if, if your mindset is Kyle Farmer is this team's shortstop bar none, at least until LA de la Cruz gets up here or something like that, then I want to just point you to the fact that he is more valuable at other positions for the Cincinnati reds. I'm not even talking about his hitting. I'm talking about his defense. And when you look at Kyle Farmer's defense at third base, I would rather have positive outs above average than negative. That's just where it is. So move him to third and, you know, in the long term whenever Marte is health or is up here and ready to go, whenever LA Dela Cruz is up here and ready to go, Kyle Farmer is very valuable to the reds as a super utility in the long run. Now make no mistake about it. Kyle farmer is not a free agent at the end of this year. He's not a free agent this offseason. The reds have control over him for a couple of more years. Now it's going to be around 6 million. And that's where there's a lot of, uh, questions as to whether he should be non-tendered and things like that, where people are just like, you know, should the Reds pay him to be a super utility player at that level? And I do think they should. I, I am not on the train of get rid of Kyle Farmer. I think Kyle Farmer is valuable to this team, especially if he does take off and becomes a trade chip. Like, I think he's kind of a trade chip right now, but more in the vein of you're not necessarily getting a game-changing prospect. If he can play a little bit above his, you know, out over his skis, as we say, Uh, above his baseball card, then he could become a super valuable guy like a Brandon Drury. But I think that he is super valuable to this team as a leader of the locker room and a guy who can lead all of these young guys. I mean, the Reds had so many rookies last year. They're going to continue to have a lot of rookies come up. And if you have that, that staple of the locker room, the guy that everybody looks to and says, that's the guy who leads kind of our just feelings around the locker room right you know like our our, our, uh, our vocal leader you know not a vocal leader because I think we, we we tend to think of a rah-rah guy I don't think Kyle Farmer's a rah-rah kind of guy but I think he's a dude that players gravitate toward and I think that that is definitely something worth having on the team the conversation about him is around shortstop and I think he's a trick there he needs to play somewhere else Now, we've got another one, and uh, looking at Joey Votto, looking at comeback kid Joey Votto, Steve and I have both said, and it's kind of made its rounds amongst Red's Twitter and, and Red's podcasters and things like that, will Joseph Daniel Votto be comeback player of the year next year? Now, whether or not he wins the award, I'm not sure, but he's going to put up a performance worthy of it. I'm going to tell you why, because throughout his career, he's done this. Remember in 2012, whenever he tore his meniscus, he missed 59 days due to that surgery. Now I know that that caused a lot of controversy because at the time, the team only said he was going to miss a few weeks, maybe a month, and he ended up missing almost two months. You know what, whatever. I'm not here to debate that. I'm here to tell you what he did when he came back from that injury, because in the final 25 games of the season from September 5th on to the end of the season, he slashed 319. He got on base five at a 500 clip (laughs) half the time, actually 505, slightly over half the time, and he slugged 421. That's a pretty good way to come back from an injury. And then in 2014, when it was the weird, was it a knee injury? Was it a quad injury? He absolutely mashed. I mean, he missed pretty much all of 2014. He played like 60 games, you know, a COVID season, basically in 2015, when he came back and played a whole year, he mashed for an entire season. He had an OPS of a thousand the entire year, a thousand, he had 29 homers and he had more walks than strikeouts. There's a reason that we look at Joey Votto and we talk about his talent and how good he is. It's because he has years like this. His OBS Plus was 174. He was 74% above league average after coming back from the crazy injury stuff that he dealt with in 2014 and i think too that's really when fans turned on him like fans started to turn on him in 2012 whenever he was out for a long period of time but then in 2014 when he was just out of the lineup quite a bit and he really wouldn't delve into the details of his injury like i think that that's when fans turned on him and i and i don't understand it like if a guy's hurt a guy's hurt like who are we to sit here and judge so yes whatever that that's my That's my take on that. The point of this is comeback kid, Joey Votto, and he's a treat. He is an absolute treat. Plus you look at 2021, whenever he fractured that thumb against the White Sox, he came back and in the final 104 games, 2021, Joey Votto fighting father time, Joey Votto hit 279, got on base 392 and had a 589 slugging. I think we all remember that pretty well cause it's still pretty fresh in our memories, but I just had to bring that up. I mean, 31 home runs after he fractured his thumb, Joey Votto comes back from injuries like few others can, and you should not doubt him. I know that there's plenty of people that are saying father time is undefeated and that's true. I'm not doubting that. I'm also not doubting Joey Votto. He's got one more good year left in him. It's going to be this year. He's going to be fantastic. Now, there's going to be plenty of debate surrounding whether that should be every day at first base, whether that should be every day in a designated hitter. We're going to cover quite a bit of that this off season, but Joseph Daniel Vado is going to put up the kind of performance that's going to merit a look at comeback player of the year. He is a treat as a comeback kid. You know, Nick Kroll flipped his status this year and the top prospect may have fallen from grace. I'll explain why in just a moment. But first I wanted to let you know that today's Lockdown Reds podcast is brought to you by bet on line. Bet online is as always where the game starts And tonight. I'm looking at a line that they have. they have a prop line for game three of the world series, Nick Castellanos to hit at least one home run is plus 600. They're back in Philadelphia. They've got that kind of the Phillies got this like postseason aura. You know this this like magic dust or something that the Phillies have tapped into this postseason, and Nick Castellanos is a big reason for that. I am so happy to see how much he has succeeded since he's gone to this team. I hope he gets a ring this year, and I think he's hitting a home run tonight. I took that plus six hundred over at Bet Online, and you can too. Bet Online's got you covered whenever you're talking about the world series. When you're talking about the NFL Bengals Browns tonight, Halloween matchup, the battle of Ohio football edition. Why do we always call it the battle? Can we come up with something else for Cincinnati versus Cleveland, like battle of Ohio? I get it, but I don't know that's, it's the battle of Ohio in every sport, but, Bengals, Browns, you can bet on that. You can check out hockey. Lots of great hockey lines going on. The blue jackets looking pretty good to start this season. Plus, you've got NBA, you've got NCAA basketball has just begun. All, all kinds of stuff. Bet Online has you covered for all of that. Whether you're talking about point spreads, money lines, uh, over unders, prop bets, everything can be found at Bet Online because Bet Online is where the game starts. Thanks as always for uh, checking us out here today on the Locked On Reds podcast. Coming up tomorrow, why Joey Votto deserves to be honored as the Reds' best first baseman in franchise history. And yes, that includes Tony Perez. Steve and I will explain. All right, let's jump into this because I think it was evident last year that Nick Kroll flipped the script on him because coming into last season, Steve and I were both talking about it, that, you know, the jury was kind of out on Nick crawl, if not against him a little bit because of what he had done. And, And yes, he had been giving marching orders to tear down the team, but it also felt like whenever he had a chance to make other moves, it was just, all right, well, who's on the waiver wire. Let's pick that up, pick that guy up. But when he had a clear path forward, when it wasn't just ownership telling him to get rid of players, when it was everyone looking at this Reds team and saying, they're not going to be good. They need to take their valuable trade chips. Like Luis Castillo might have to take him down after the world series. over. Right? I'm going to hate to do that. But whenever you flip Luis Castillo for the prospects that he got, whenever you flip Tyler Malley for the prospects, they, whenever you flip Brandon Drury. For the prospects, they, whenever you take Tommy Pham, who slapped another human being before a ball game, and you got a minor league player out of it, you did pretty good. And Nick crawl as the maestro of this team, I'm saying he's a treat. I'm saying that Nick crawl will be able to do the building. And I, I'm a little bit hesitant about that take, but I think that whenever Nick crawl is given the ability to run, he is going to run well. The problem is ever since Dick Williams left and Nick crawl took over, he has been taking marching orders because let's face it. He got the job because he was going to take the marching orders. Like Dick Williams had the job and was building this team. And at the same time was running it probably against what ownership really wanted because you know, Dick, Dick Williams had a little bit of stake in minority ownership. He wasn't a stake in the majority, but he had some say so, and he had an ability to push back and use his own ideas to run the team. Nick Crawls not that way. They probably had an interview with Nick Crawl and said, "Are you gonna you gonna follow what we want you to do or not?" And if the answer is no, we've got somebody else we can talk to. He wanted the job you would want the job. I would want the job of general manager for the Cincinnati reds. And if they told you that this is how you get this job, probably going to have to, you know, at least follow those. So now I think we get to see Nick crawl, be creative. We saw him get creative this past season with the teardown. Now I think we're going to get the chance to see him be creative with the build up. And I think he's going to do that. I'm giving Nick crawl a treat on that and not a trick. There's another guy though. And, I look at him and I'm hesitant to say this because I feel like it's easy to say that a guy's a bust. I feel like it's the trendy thing to do in sports is to be the first guy to declare that he's, and I'm not the first guy that's going to say this. Plenty of people have said this, but Jose Barrero kind of looks like a trick at this point. Now, I don't necessarily think that this is 1,000% his fault. Uh, The Reds did not put him in good situations. They called him up, obviously, too early in 2020 in the COVID-shortened season where they're like, man, we need a spark. We need something. They call him up. He wasn't ready, and he showed he wasn't ready very quickly. And then they, you know, he goes through the hammate bone injury. He he's he's recovering from that, and then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, we're gonna bring him up. He's got to sink or swim. And in his time at AAA, from rehab through the point where okay, rehab was over, but they officially assigned him to AAA so that he could work on some stuff. He still wasn't hitting very well. He wasn't doing very well at the plate. He had a couple of nice, you know, bombs and things like that. But for the most part, he showed what we always worry about the rough plate discipline, swinging at sliders, low and away, all this other stuff. The the things that we wanted him to fix were still broken. And the reds were like, okay, now it's time for you to sink or swim. That's like going out on the road with a car, you know, is going to stall out. All right. As soon as it stalls out the first time are you mad at the car or are you mad at yourself for taking the car out of the garage in the first place? I think it should be noted that the position Jose Barrera was put in was a position that was already leaning toward failure and they basically dared him to succeed. And now he's to a point where I don't know that we can see anything in spring training. Like if he bats a thousand in spring training, there's still going to be questions because we all know that the spring training level of talent he's going to face is quadruple a. And, And even if you're facing a major league pitcher, you're facing a major league pitcher who's working on something. So you're not, you're not talking about a Jose Barrero that's going to show you something in spring training. So what does he have to do next year? He has to, just absolutely blow up, like go nuclear at the plate in spring training. And he's probably going to start the year. Maybe he starts the year on the major league roster, but I don't think he starts the year as the de facto shortstop. I don't think he can because what he showed us at the end of last season was bad baseball. He was bad at hitting. He had no pitch recognition. And when he did get a hit, it just kind of felt like little loopers here and there. He had that great two home run game, but you take that game out of the equation. And my goodness, that that, that was a rough couple of months for Jose Breyer. And we were so excited when we, when we said it and you know, Lindsey Crosby locked on MLB prospects. He also agreed with us that, you know, he was the most important player for the rest of the season for the Cincinnati reds. And he showed us why now most important doesn't mean that he's going to be the best. It's just how his success or failure affects the team and I think that we saw he's not I I think the shortstop of the future tag got removed and I think it's been placed on Ellie de la Cruz I think at this point Jose Barrero would have to do something almost superhuman to take that away now can Jose Barrero fit on this team somewhere sure he's still got a chance to possibly work his way into the equation. And I appreciate what Chris Welsh said with Steve uh, last week. And that is, I think it's still too early to like give up on him totally. But I also think you cannot go into the season handing him the shortstop job again. He's, he's got to do something crazy to earn it. And I think as of right now, Jose Barrero is a trick. At one time, Jose Barrero was the top prospect of the Cincinnati Reds organization. But I think that that's just a cautionary tale at this point for, yes, a guy can be a top prospect, but that does not mean anything until he proves it at the major league level, which I still think, you know, we've got to be cautious with L.A. De La Cruz, but L.A. De La Cruz has shown that he can mash anything in the minor leagues. Jose Barrero didn't show that. And, And I think, you know, that all came to, it came to a head last season whenever he was called up and told to sink or swim, I think he sank. And and if he's going to be a key part of this team moving forward, he's got to do something crazy. And I hope he does. I'm not rooting against him. I'm just saying, this is what I saw when it comes to Jose Barrero. And and I hate to call guys a bust, but right now, man, right now, he looks like a bust coming up. I want to talk about two things. Uh, Jonathan India has come up a lot. In recent conversations, as a possible bust, talk about Jose Barrera is a bust. Is Jonathan India a bust? I will dive into those thoughts. Coming up next. First, I uh, I want to let you know though you can follow us on social media. You can follow me at Jeff Carr with three Fs, and Steve will be back tomorrow with me as we talk about Joey Votto. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at S Offenbaker with two Fs, and you can follow the show at Locked On Reds. All right. There's been a lot of talk here recently, and you know I even brought up the question the other day in our live show, which by the way, make sure you're following us here on YouTube. If this is your first time, make sure you're following us and you click the bell to get notified. We will have more live episodes as the off season goes along, where you get to interact with us, comments and questions and things like that. and, And we'll have a nice long segment there that you get to drive based on your questions and your thoughts about the reds but we we had a conversation a little bit i even brought up the question should the reds look to trade him i don't think the answer is yes i i am curious about the question though i think that jonathan india's struggles from last season are a trick because his struggles are all related to injury and we need to give him more time I, i i think it's easy Like I said, with Jose Barrero, it's, it's a popular thing in sports fandom nowadays to be like, yeah, we're done with him. He's bad. Get him out of here. He's a bust. Maybe we should trade him. you know, things like that. That's, that's like everybody's favorite thing. And especially around the reds who, yes, the reds love to trade everybody. So it's, you know, it makes sense. But with Jonathan India, I think we need to give him some more time because he's going to be healthy next year. He's, He's resting. I'm sure and and rehabbing and, and getting strengthened up for next year, because you saw it at the end of 2022, where he really wanted to be in games because he wanted to show that he's still Jonathan India. He's still the guy that won that rookie of the year award, but he just couldn't. He was playing with one and a half legs for most of the season last year. And I think that that more than anything contributed to all of his struggles. I mean, he still did well with the plate discipline thing. Let me throw this up here. This is a graphic. This is the percentile rankings from baseball savant around Jonathan India. Average exit velocity, horrible. Hard hit percentage, horrible. Outs above average, horrible. I put those all in the injury because you're not going to get that power. If you're hitting with one leg, you can't do all arms in Major League Baseball. It's not like golf. It's not like you can just go up there and just all arms swing it and, hey, that's going to work but one thing that he was still very good at, he didn't chase bad pitches and he was still slightly above league average in the whiff percentage category. He was good with the plate discipline numbers. And I think that that still shows Jonathan India is still the same player. He wasn't trying to just like overpress and overwork. It's just whenever he was up there to do his thing, he was already behind the eight ball. And I think that's the reason his defense fell off so much. I mean, one of the biggest conversations around him right now is it should he be the red second baseman next year? And there's already been a lot of people that say, no, I don't think so. But I still want to see him healthy. If you've only got one leg and you're trying to play second base, that's kind of hard. I would imagine. I mean, basically if I'm playing anywhere on the field, I'm playing with one leg. So if if you're talking about my defense at second base and that's what you're expecting to be a major league defensive second base. Uh, yeah. Yeah, obviously, but I give me some healthy Jonathan India before I jump ship on him at second base and mostly too, because I think everybody's solution to move in him from second base is to move him to DH. I don't like that at all. Like kind of with Steve on this, I, I, I feel like the value, Of the designated hitter is being able to give guys off days, you know, they're not actually off, they still hit, but like you can move Stevenson to DH, whenever you want to give his legs a break, you can move Jonathan, or you move Jonathan India to DH, you can move Joey Votto to DH, you can move anyone to the designated hitter spot to give them an off day without taking them out of the lineup so to speak so i don't necessarily want to remainder a guy there just because we think his defense is bad and the only reason we think his defense is bad is because he was trying to play second base on one leg i think this is a situation where hot takes have gone too far and india deserves patience and i'm going to be in that patience category i want to see more india because i want to see him healthy now okay now we're gonna we're going to um in today's podcast on a very happy note, because I just want to talk about Tyler Stevenson for a minute because Tyler Stevenson is a treat. I think we forget about him because he was hurt for most of the season. He only played 50 games, but think about this for just a moment. The reds who are historically bad, one of their worst seasons they've ever had in the seat and the history of the franchise when Jonathan or with <laughs> Tyler Stevenson was in the lineup, they were 22 and 28. They were only six games under 500. They were 32 games under 500 without him in the lineup. Now, are they going to be that much better with him for the entire season? Yes, I do believe they would have been. He hit over 300 in his 50 games. I mean, and and I keep talking about this stat, but the stat that uh, the the friend of the podcast, Ken Huber, at Obscure X Reds shared on Twitter. When Tyler Stevenson was in the lineup, they averaged over five runs a game. That team doesn't lose a hundred games. That team maybe flirts with the over. I'm not going to say they flirt with 500, but maybe they flirt with the over at 73 and a half of last year. I'm I'm probably until we post the new win total for next year. I might not stop talking about that. So yeah, sorry about that. But with Tyler Stevenson, the reds lineup was a force and was something that the opposing pitcher had to take seriously. And the opposing teams had to take seriously because of Tyler Stevenson because he hit over 300 in the 50 games that he played do not sleep on Tyler Stevenson in this lineup next year. It is a built in improvement for this team. We talk about the lineup and that's how the biggest, the biggest key is the Reds need to score more runs next year. Boom. Tyler Stevenson's coming back. You add a bat or two to that lineup and him coming back healthy and maybe a healthy Jonathan India resurging a little bit. There you go, man. There's your runs. And Tyler Stevenson is a huge part of that because he is going to be the anchor. He's going to be the just absolute most important hitter in this lineup for the next few years. And I think that even includes whenever Ellie De La Cruz is up. Like Ellie De La Cruz is going to be the electricity, but Tyler Stevenson is going to be the thing that powers all of it. He's going to be the guy that gets the entire lineup rolling. And he is an absolute treat, a treat. I cannot wait for him to return. And we get to see Tyler Stevenson return to the Cincinnati. I I, I missed watching him play last year. He was a lot of fun to watch, but that's going to end this episode of the lockdown Reds podcast. Thank you so much for watching and for listening tomorrow. We will explain why Joey Votto deserves to be recognized as the best first baseman in Reds franchise history. And I'm not sure why that feels like a hot take. Thanks again for making Lockdown Reds your first listen. Now make your second listen the Locked On Sports Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski brings you the biggest news and scores and recaps and biggest takes in sports each and every day, and he does it in under twenty two minutes. That's Locked On Sports Today. They're available on the Odyssey app, the YouTube app. They're available on um, you know who or not Hulu, um, Spotify. They're available on iTunes. They're available everywhere that you can find Locked On Reds because Locked On Sports today is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. And when it comes to the Cincinnati Reds this offseason, it's going to be very interesting. There's going to be lots to cover because the Reds have lots to do because they can't just sit on their hands like I think some of us are a little bit afraid that they might. And speaking of fear, happy Halloween once again. We are Locked On Reds every single day. Hey, Prime members.